Welcome to Fusion Fantasy Football. Welcome back, everyone. It's Josh. I'm back. Uh, I don't know how my voice is going to sound. I don't know how long it's going to last. Been dealing with a head cold. Sometimes I sound like Barry White. Sometimes I sound like I smoke. And sometimes I sound like I have uh, unplugged my nose. Because it is. So we'll see how this goes, guys. But I am going to talk about... um, I I wanted to take an episode here and talk about just a bunch of player situations that I find interesting values. A lot of observations. If you follow me on Twitter, you probably hear me talk about. But I want to make sure I talk about them in depth here on the podcast for you guys. Not everyone's on Twitter. Not everyone sees them and so on. So I wanted to make sure I hit some of these because I think these are important points that are getting talked about around the fantasy community a lot. And I think there's some important things here. Uh, first, got to get some business, business, business. Guys, T-shirts. Do you want a T-shirt? Because if you didn't notice, Fusion Fantasy Football has a new logo. You can check it out, fusionffb.com. Actually, the header on there is not the full logo, but it's just the part that looks good in a header. <laughs> um, if you check me on Twitter at FusionFFB, uh, my twin pin tweet has a link to the viridianglobal.com website. You can also just go to viridianglobal.com. Check out the Fantasy Football Collective collection there and look for Fusion Fantasy Football. And there it is with a number of colors with the full logo, high quality on there. They're nice shirts. So check that out. I'll be wearing those too. The FF Expo. So uh, yeah, if you're going to be at the FF Expo in Canton in August, uh, hit me up with a follow. Uh, I'd love to meet up with as many people actually listen to this thing in in person as possible. So be sure to somehow make contact. Let me know if you're going to be there. I want to meet you at Fusion FFB. You can email me, fusionffb at gmail.com. All right. Other housekeeping. Now that Scott Fishbowl is over, I might reference that a little bit towards the end of this episode, but I want to make sure I hit the other things first. We'll see how my voice goes. But Scott Fishbowl is pretty much wrapping up the drafts. It's been two weeks. And now it's time for Fusion Flex. So I did get some more people. We have the first league completely filled. Most of the people came back. I think we had a couple openings. Those are filled and we're starting to fill the second division. So what we're going to do is we're going to have two, basically two leagues. And then the finals is going to be a four-way kind of all play brawl it out and uh, that's how we're going to decide who is the overall fusion flex champion you'll get the uh, the flexing trophy maybe I'll throw in a t-shirt all right and of course it's 25 dollar donation to BFTG charities which 100% of that goes to shopping for toys for toys for tots it's George over there at break from the grind charities fully certified and so on. If you have any doubts, they have history. They have the official certification. They've got it all. Uh, If you have any doubts, just ask. We'll provide the accreditation. But more importantly, 
fun because the fusion flex leagues are fun guys it's i i don't know more i wish more people were interested i don't understand why because imagine being able to literally win a league with any kind of roster construction you wanted now within some requirements you have to start two running backs you have to start two wide receivers you have to start one tight end and then there's a a receiver flex tight end or wide receiver after that you don't have to start quarterback and there's four super flexes so you can start a bunch you can start none start a ton of wide receivers start running backs go it is a little bit of a tight end premium so my goodness guys you really can go at this however you want um the two divisions is going to create even more variation i hope uh so i hope in the finals we have like completely different approaches i think in the the top four last year three of the teams kind of looked more quarterback heavy but there was one team that was a lot more like tight end heavy um so it was really interesting to see how it all turned out but if you're interested in this you have to let me know you have to let me know. I'll get you in the group chat, uh, and then we will distribute when we have enough people. Uh, we will start confirming and getting donations from people, uh, and then getting them into the leagues. We want to get this rolling and drafting by August. Let's go. We only need like eight or nine, maybe 10 tops more people to fill the second division. I know I have at least two people already in that division, so this this shouldn't be hard. But uh, let's let's go. It's a lot of fun and uh, for a great cause as well. All right. That's the business. Let's get to some players. Uh, let's see. Where do we want to go first? First of all, um, you all, if you've been listening, you know I like Cam Akers. So he was my running back three in last year's rookie class. Ahead of Dobbins, ahead of Swift. I had him behind Clyde Edwards. I shouldn't have had Clyde Edwards that high. I know. Of course, I had Jonathan Taylor at one where he belonged all along. I told you. Um, But I liked Cam Akers. And I was saying that it seemed clear to me that that, that, uh, McVay really liked having a main running back. And one that could catch passes because Gurley was running all kinds of routes, but he just wasn't getting the targets and receptions. And it seemed to me that was just obviously an inability on his part to really get open. However, we had some hangups in Cam Akers' rookie season. And a lot of people really pushed back on my argument about McVay and them wanting a lead back and all this. They, they, they pointed to some comments by McVay in the offseason last year about how they had three or even four starting running backs and... Uh, how they wanted to use a committee approach and all this. And I, I kind of said, look, that's coach speak. I'm not believing it. What he's done in the past is use one guy. We went into this season and very clearly, immediately, they were using all of them. Uh, actually, they were using Malcolm Brown more than anyone. But when Cam Akers got hurt, I think we kind of, we, we, we lost an objective test. And... It separated rib cartilage. I mean, it's a nasty injury, six to eight week recovery time uh, to really get back to 100%. And sure enough, it was six, seven weeks till till Akers returned. He was active for a bunch of games in there, even though he played like a couple snaps maybe, if at all. 
And so that's really throwing off some averages and things, stats when people are looking at it. Cause I'm like, yeah, technically he, he was active, but he didn't play. You should not be counting those games against him in any kind of per game stats. Um, anyway, so I, I went over the timeline of this because I, I was really upset because I kept seeing people say and, and write that, uh, that Akers was clearly given, you know, took over the job at the end of the season. Uh, it seemed to be missing some facts. Um, and again, I love Cam Akers. However, you, you making a bad argument for Cam Akers isn't going to help him score more points next year. Um, making a bad argument for Cam Akers is going to help you be uh, disappointed next year in Cam Akers. So it, the problem is in week 13, um, people see Cam Akers get a good workload for half that game. And then the next game is the uh, uh, next game is a Patriots game where, I mean, he just smashes. Uh, Akers does. But what we're missing is the first half of week 13 against Arizona in Arizona. Henderson was getting more of the snaps. And then he hurt his knee in the second half. And Henderson even had good points, 16 points PPR that game. Um, in the second half, Akers came in, ran ball out, 62% snaps and uh, 21 rush attempts uh, for only 72 yards. Really not efficient, but he got a touchdown. So good looking points. The next week plays, like I said, the Patriots, their rush defense was terrible, 28 points. Um, basically people are looking at these games and thinking that, that, uh, somehow acres took over. He did not take over. Henderson had a knee injury. I don't know why it's, it's not popping up in, in timelines or injury reports or what it is, but you can look it up, follow me. Um, you can see this whole thread I made on it where I have links and screenshots of the articles he clearly was hurt and they were expecting him to miss at least that next week. Okay. And because of that, Cam Akers was like a smash, like DFS, you know, start and everything because, uh, because of, well, he was playing the Patriots and they had terrible run defense. So going, when you look through all of that, then what happened is Akers himself got hurt week, uh, 16, 15. And then Henderson came back in week 16 and also got hurt again. And to the point that he had to be put on IR, Akers is back again week 17 and then starts into the playoffs. And that's all anyone remembers. That's the perception bias. Everyone just remembers the big Patriots game and him playing a lot and him playing into the playoffs. And they're missing the details. The details of that timeline where both of them were getting heart back and forth. And especially Henderson initially paving the way for acres to get more work at no point at no point. There's an argument to be made possibly for the week uh, 15 game. That is two weeks removed from Henderson's initial knee injury that maybe Henderson could have come back. Now he plays full time the next week, actually only 41% snaps, not really full time. He was splitting with Malcolm Brown. Um, but that just points to me that Henderson wasn't really fully healthy either. And so all we see is three games of acres above 
60% snap share, double digit points, but it's all because of an injury to Henderson. And then Akers gets hurt, and then Henderson comes back, and then Henderson gets hurt, and Akers comes back, and so on. You know the rest. At no point were both Henderson and Akers fully healthy, and the coaching staff decided to give a majority of snaps and workload to Cam Akers. That never happened. At no point last year did the coaches choose between two healthy running backs and choose Cam Akers. They never had that choice. I'm not saying they won't make that choice. I'm saying they never had the opportunity to even make that decision. And so to now hear from lots of people that McVay wants a bell cow back and see what he did at the end of last season and he has the draft capital and it's Cam Akers go time. These these are my arguments, guys. These are my arguments for rookie Cam Akers. Now you're making these arguments for sophomore Cam Akers based upon a phantom of the end of last season. That that's it's it's a mirage. I'm not saying he didn't show to be good. I'm just saying it's not the proof you think it is. Okay, you need to do better. And this is not a good argument. Um, I think Cam Akers can be fine. I think Malcolm Brown is gone. This can be a 60-40, 55-45 split. I think Henderson is wildly undervalued due to this because Akers can get hurt again. He, he's got hurt twice last season. Henderson also got hurt twice last season. Uh, this is a fantastic uh, buy low on Henderson for a, a late round kind of guy in a dynasty, in a startup, in a tournament. I was hoping to get him in Scott Fishbowl. Didn't quite work out. But he was one of those guys that I was going to grab if he was there late. So there you go. That's it, Henderson. I'm glad I have him on one league, actually, where I also have Acres. So I'll be assured one of them, you know, is healthy. And hopefully they ping pong back and forth and I'll know who to start. The, the, the downside is that we never know. And it's a committee truly just like last year at the the few points where they were both healthy at the same time and it was a committee uh but without malcolm brown involved okay so this is my way of saying you you can't compensate for being too low and missing the arguments i was making on cam Akers last year you can't compensate for that by now making more bad arguments for cam Akers and putting him too high that's that's not good process. He should not be higher than someone like DeAndre Swift, who we're going to talk about next. DeAndre Swift, 13 games last year, 57 targets. That's a 75 game, uh, 75 target pace for a 17 game season. Now, guys, that's what we have to start getting used to. It's 17 games. In my projections that I'm working on, I'm a little bit delayed in them. Family matters got me a little delayed, but we're moving along, chugging along very quickly and uh, hope to have that out by August. So still in time for most of your draft season. But I did do Detroit uh, once through preliminary. I have them for like 80 targets, uh, well over 400 uh, receiving yards. I mean, right there, that's 100, just spotting them 100 points, right? 
now you add in the rush attempts. And I don't care about, guys, I don't care about whether um, Lynn split up the work between Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler. Well, yeah, because Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler are good running backs. Of course he split up the work between them. My goodness, and look what they did with it. They were both good. So if somehow Jamal Williams is doing well enough to take work, I fully expect them both to do well because there is plenty of there's plenty of need for offensive weapons on the on the Rams offense. So I do not expect there to be not the Rams. We're not talking about the Rams anymore. We're talking about Detroit. There's plenty of room on offense. Uh, for offensive weapons on Detroit. And so if both of them are doing great, they'll utilize both of them. They'll both do well. Look, Swift is poised to easily be in a running back one, you know, top 12 running back pace. He was an arting, he, he was already last season, he finished running back 18 in those 13 games. That was running back eight pace just last year. Okay, and I get it. The short, you, you can't just do pace and prorate everything. I get it. I'm just trying to give you some perspective. Okay. So if you think, and again, if you're worried about him for injury, then why in the world are you touting Cam Akers, the guy who got injured twice last year, missed six, seven games. Okay. Look, there's no way you should have Cam Akers higher than Swift going into this season. And my argument, they were tight for me last year. It was Swift right behind Acres, And the only reason I had Acres higher was because of the possibility of higher workload. It was completely a situation landing spot decision. Talent-wise, I had them neck and neck. I actually agreed Swift was a better receiver. And now that we've seen it and he's, in a, in, he's on a team that's going to need those targets, he's going to get dump-offs from Goff. We know he likes to do it. That... I don't get what the downside is. Look at what Dan Campbell, head coach Dan Campbell, did with for Lamar Miller when he was the temporary coach in Miami. Go look it up. He he gave Miller a lot of work, um, all around passing and rushing, uh, receiving and rushing. And if Lamar Miller can do it, uh, he can have Swift can have at least at least that season. We know that's the kind of game play that that Campbell has been talking up secretly. I I wish secretly. I really hope that Dan Campbell's like uh, he's like a closet analytics guy and he just talks all this crap about biting knees and telling guys he's not going to he's not going to wipe their butts for him. They're going to do it, grow up and do it themselves. Like like part of me, I would love to see that combination because like if I was a coach, I'd like to think. I would be analytics based, but I would love to just like put on a good show, like a meathead show and make and let everyone think that at the same time. That would be hilarious. Probably not the case for Dan Campbell, but it would be pretty hilarious to see people's criticisms of him fall flat. Um, so just go, yeah, buy Swift. I don't understand why he's falling. I got him in a couple startups this year. Super, super happy about that. Yeah, he's, he's like the next kind of a, uh, He's like Kamara, kind of vain, Eckler, but he's actually more suited for a, a larger workload than than those guys. 
We saw him do it in college. So this is an all-around back that catches the ball. I don't, what is the downside, guys? He's already done it. Stop basing things on coaching narratives. And even if you do actually do a good job of doing it and see that it's actually a positive for Swift, stop just getting scared of a committee because of some history in in Lynn's background. Anthony Lynn, the new offensive coordinator, if I didn't piece that together for you. All right, stop it. Similar uh, changes on another team. We have in Atlanta, Kyle Pitts gets drafted, highest tight end ever drafted. Everyone's excited to bore him. Everyone's calling him Calvin Johnson, and yet somehow expecting him to have a better rookie season than Calvin Johnson, which I think is interesting. Um, however, I think a lot of people are forgetting that the coaching staff changed in in, in Atlanta. Did, did you know that? Has anyone paid any attention to this yet? Yeah, it's, it's Arthur Smith now. Arthur Smith came from, he was offensive coordinator with the Tennessee Titans, who ran the highest rate of 12 personnel in the league last year. 12 personnel being one running back, two tight ends, and then that leaves two wide receivers. Uh, 12, 21 would be two running backs and one tight end, uh, and so on. So it's it's the first number's running back, second number's tight ends, and then the remainder is wide, wide receivers, assumedly. So highest rate of 12 personnel. And then we look at what Julio leaves behind. Julio had 157 targets last year, 99. Sorry, this isn't last year. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna use last year's because he had missed time. Uh, per game, I I could look up the per game, but I was gonna say in 2019, Julio had 157 targets, 99 receptions, 1,400 yards, six touchdowns. Okay. Now, what does that mean? For uh, 2020, let's look it up. He had in those games, it would have been even more, 160 targets, 102 yards, 1,500 yards, seven touchdowns. That's the, the full season pace Julio had last year. First off, that's just amazing. Go go get Julio cheap in, in, in redraft or contending. Go get him. But now we have Kyle Pitts. So I'm trying to figure out, people want to say, well, Kyle Pitts is going to be great because Julio left all this work behind and they're going to run him, you know, he's going to take over most of that work. Okay, that's great. But that means, how how is he taking all of Hayden Hurst's work? Hayden Hurst had 88 targets, 56 receptions, 571 yards six touchdowns last year he was the tight end 10 in ppr 149 points i i was the guy last year telling you stop getting so excited about hayden hurst in atlanta stop getting excited about these atlanta tight ends right <laughs> uh even i loved i loved hooper before that though so i can't really say that um and i was fine tight end 10 that's probably where i had about ranked I figured he could finish there. It's just people were buying him much higher than that, uh, like tight end six kind of range, and that's where I was like, yeah, it's just not worth it. Don't don't chase it. And and it wasn't a good week to week. You know how it is. So 
Hayden Hurst is there now, still. That was his first year in the system, which was one of the reasons I was down on him last year. I was like, well, he he's old. Um, he, he can't be that great of the trading away. Plus, it's his first year in the season in, in the organization. So now he's a year in. He actually did solid last year. He does have good hands. I've seen him make some, some pretty good plays. And now he's coming into a situation with a with a new head coach that loves tight ends. Um, they have a new rookie tight end who is being expected to get uh, Julio Jones light workload, or at least you know amount of targets and so on. I just don't understand how Kyle Pitts is so amazing. He's going to take both Julio Jones and Hayden Hurst's work. That's going to be like 230 targets or something. That's amazing. Uh, it's not happening, guys. It's not happening. More than anything, I'm wondering, I'm thinking about back at Tennessee again, where Arthur Smith was, two tight ends. Who was the other guy? Anthony Ferkser, surprisingly getting a good amount of work. Unknown guy. We wanted it to be John U. Smith. And they both ended up just being okay. Right, but now let's look at the Falcons. We expect them to be uh, higher pass attempt offense. They've got Ridley there. First off, first off, I see a decrease in volume for the Falcons, which most people are not taking into account because they're not thinking about the coaching change. It doesn't get brought up. However, I do think it'll be more than was being distributed with. The Titans, because they don't have a, they don't have a Derrick Henry running the ball, obviously. So you're gonna throw the ball, right? You're gonna throw the ball. Hayden Hurst, I think, is going to repeat very close to what he did last season. Why wouldn't he? He has another good tight end who's getting all the attention across from him. Um, he's got a, a coach that loves using tight ends. Like everything is in place for Hayden Hurst to actually be the one to benefit the most. Plus the natural, the natural uh, detractions that Kyle Pitts and the, the volume of the whole offense going down is going to bring. But you bring that all together, and I think Hayden Hurst is easily going to have another eighty, you know, target, fifty something, catch, five hundred ish yards and actually at least six touchdowns if not even extra high now that defenses are going to be keying in on Ridley and Pitts now you can say well defenses could have keyed into Ridley last year and they did to much extent but Julio was in and out a lot and so now they have a whole season of planning Ridley as the one no Julio they don't even have to worry about that they only have to worry about they're going to be focused on trying to figure out Pitts in the meantime, I think Hayden Hurst is a ridiculous buy. He's going like tight end. He's going later than tight end 20. It is absolutely ridiculous. Um, it does not make any sense. And if there's one thing I do well in this fantasy space, it is identify things that are irrational and not making sense, uh, that are incongruous with just reason and history. Um, and this is the one I saw that the red flags went up even, you know, months ago. I was like, I wonder if Hayden Hurst might be a value because Pitts went there. So 
Actually, before Pitts went there, I was looking into buying Hayden Hurst. I just remembered. Yeah, I just figured, and that was just based on, you know, second year. Everyone was disappointed in him last year. So, oh my goodness, go after the players that people are emotionally disappointed in. Chase those players because they are already, like, why write a buy low article when you can just, you can just read these Twitter threads of people sharing who burned them last year? Okay, buy low on that player then. And Hayden Hurst was one of them. Uh, another one, another tight end, is Evan Engram. I'm going to share a tweet. Remember a while back we talked about how I'm going to hold some people accountable? Here's one. And this guy deserves to be held accountable. Um, if for no other reason that he said that Keenan Allen was going to finish out tied the top 36 wide receivers last year. Ah, oh, yes, he did. Kyle Yates. Sorry, man. Why do you do this to yourself? Kyle Yates, um, he, he's with uh, Fantasy Pros and solid analyst. I think we I think we have somewhat similar Scott Fishbowl teams I was looking at the other day, and he popped up as a bunch of the players I have. But um, listen, Kyle, why are you complaining about Evan Engram having an expert, you know, draft ranking one rank higher than Johnny Smith. Okay. He he says Johnny Smith had more receiving TDs in 2020 than Evan Engram has had in the past three years combined. He also received a $50 million contract this offseason to a team that he should easily lead in targets. Engram scored one TD last season. One. Okay, first of all, I'm glad you have such faith in Johnny Smith leading the Patriots in targets next year. Uh, I, should, I should start saying this year, really. Um, however, however, Hunter Henry is also there on a very similar contract. And meanwhile, players like Jacoby Myers were racking up a lot of targets. Um, there's, there's definitely competition there. I think I really like Janu, but I don't see him. He's never been a huge high volume guy, but you know, that's fine. I'm, I don't have a problem with it. You're high on him. I like him too. That's fine. My biggest issue is the slander against Engram and using this cute stat about how Janu has scored more touchdowns than Engram has in three years. Engram scored seven touchdowns the last three seasons combined three three and one this past season just one which he points out in his own thing that is the definition of positive regression target yes get triggered i said positive regression that is a clear like you're looking at that and you're like oh he should score more than just one now i understand why he only scored one uh, because that offense was bad and they didn't have much of anyone else. Now this year they bring in Engram, I mean, Galladay, right? They signed Kenny Galladay. They have Saquon coming back and they drafted Kadarius Tony for whatever that's worth. Okay. So he is now, you could say he has more competition. However, he has held on to a near 20% target share, even when he had Odell Beckham there. Okay. Yes, injured back and forth Odell Beckham, but still. Um, 
I don't think this is a negative as much as it is a positive or at least a wash. Uh, I think if anything, even it's, I think it's going to be a wash when it comes to targets and total receptions and yardage, but I believe it is going to be a boon for him with the touchdowns. So Evan Ingram had a point, a 0.92 touchdown rate last year. Okay. That's his 109 targets divided by one touchdown, right? <laughs> How many touchdowns do you score per a target? Okay, that's what the this metric is doing. Uh, I took the average using using Peter Howard's database. This is going back like 14 years or something, right? And for tight ends with 40 or more targets, the average touchdown rate is 5.44%, okay? For 60 or more receptions, which Engram had 60-something, I, uh, I pulled up later, but 53 and for, for tight ends that had a 20% target share, if we want to go with a market share instead of a raw receptions, 5.15. Um, so the averages are around 5% touchdown rate, which is five times more than what he had last year. He would have had f average, if you do the math, 5.45 touchdowns, you can't have 0.45. So five or six touchdowns last year. If you give him five touchdowns last year, that makes him... The tight end eight, barely behind Gasecki with 158 points. Gasecki had 159. This is in PPR. Do we think Engram is nearly as disappointing if that's the result from last year? Probably not. Tight end eight? That's solid. Okay, he could have been tight end seven if he just caught, you know, a little bit more or another touchdown. He hit six touchdowns, maybe. Would have got ahead of Gasecki. This, this is not forward thinking. This is emotional. I, I shouldn't make that accusation of Kyle, but I, for a lot of people, it is. I know for a lot of people, they burn. This is this is Eric uh, Ebron syndrome, right? They didn't want to buy into him, going somewhere else. And then he broke out a great season with the Colts. Yes, it was touchdown dependent largely, but he was getting a lot of work and opportunity to do it. And I think it's going to be even more so because he doesn't have to go anywhere. He doesn't have a team that wants to get rid of him. He has a team that improved the offense, has Saquon coming back and Galladay out deep. That's going to open up things for Engram. Guys, he is a top eight tight end in 2021. Book it. All right. Um, That was the four guys I had notes on here that I really wanted to talk about because I, I see a lot of disinformation, bad reasoning going on, and uh, I just needed to say something about those. And I also need to remember to really dig in a little deeper um, on some of my observations I make on the Twitter, uh, on the podcast, uh, just so it could be more clear. You can really get a full sense of what it is I was actually thinking when I said it. Um, there's not much else uh, we could talk about some Scott Fishbowl. I, I ended up in the second half going with three rookie wide receivers in the 12th, 13th, 14th with Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman, and Amon Ross St. Brown. Of course, then uh, if you didn't notice, I got Evan Ingram in the 11th and I took Hayden Hurst in the 15th. So this is very connected and it's not uh, a coincidence. Uh, let's see, grab Chuba Hubbard, kind of a long shot here, you know, 
see if he if, if CMC gets hurt at all again. John Brown, OJ Howard, he's another guy who has a really good per game stats. He just hasn't been healthy. If somehow he manages to stay healthy, I think he could become Brady's favorite tight end. He was in the brief period of beginning of last season before Gronk was really fully worked in, and while Howard was still healthy, he was scoring pretty well. Uh, it wasn't a high amount of usage volume, but he was producing with what he got. Um, and then I closed out at the end with Elijah Mitchell, Javian Hawkins, and Damian Williams, some high upside running backs. Just to give you an idea, guys, I've been looking at, there was a bunch more names I would have liked to take, like uh, like Donald Parham talking tight ends here. I would have liked to take him. Diami Brown made it all the way back. I could not believe it. That was another rookie wide receiver I had been eyeing, I don't know, for, geez, since the 19th. I was debating between Quintez Cephas or Diami Brown. Little did I know I could get Diami Brown with my last pick, but I ran out of picks, ran out of roster spots. Um, anyway, so that's, we talked about Engram. Go ahead and buy him. Um, let's see, what's something else here? Oh, so with the Chargers, uh, Heath Cummins had something he was talking about where he added together opportunities. I don't think these were weighted opportunities. I could run it through sometime myself, but it was just a really easy way to see. Indianapolis had uh, the most, but the Chargers, and, and they were talking about it in the in terms of the Colts and, and the Ravens, who are the 24th most. But looking at it, it was like, okay, the Chargers are sitting there at second. Let's talk about that because I don't think Eckler is going to be able to get all of those. So there is a value here. I was very close to uh, drafting like Joshua Kelly or uh, Justin Jackson or the new guy, the new rookie, Larry Roundtree, but I have no idea which one. So that is something you want to keep an eye on in training camp, in preseason. That's one I am very, very interested in. Last year, Joshua Kelly had some real relevance for a while there. Um, he kind of fizzled out with it, but at the same time, he was relevant. And who's to say the next guy is not going to fizzle out? Maybe it's Joshua Kelly. He, he Maybe his confidence is back. He's going to come back strong. That could be. Maybe it's the rookie. Uh, and to be honest, Justin Jackson's done pretty well with what he's gotten. He's had injury uh, bug lately, I guess you could say, say to I hate to say prone, uh, but he has gotten injured, nagging injuries quite consistently. Um, so it's been hard for them to count on him. And he might be the first man out if they need side to cut someone. But at the same time, I think that if Eckler goes down and Justin Jackson is healthy, he's going to be the first one to get a chance um, if he's still on the team, of course. All right. Let's see uh, what else we were talking about. Oh, I was caught in a Troutman, Adam Troutman debate. Look, if you listen to the podcast, you know I was on Adam Troutman last year, very, 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 very early. Um, I was on on Peter Howard's live streams asking him if his he had Adam Troutman stats. And he said, who's that? Uh, you know, he knew who. He just knew that they didn't have any usable stats because they were lesser division or conference and so on. 
So I had to, I scoured the internet and got them myself. Still couldn't find his, his birthday. Neither me nor uh, FF Spaceman Dave Wright, who has the other great prospect database, uh, neither of us could find his, his birthday. He finally found it sometime during that summer. Um, but either way, really like Troutman. Was my tight end one very early. I have multiple tweets uh, uh, saying this. I have rankings from last year still up on the website archived. I have proof. I have the receipts, guys. Okay, I was in on Adam Troutman before you were. And I was in on him for this very reason because now he's hyped because I saw he was where he went, especially after the draft. I liked his profile before, but I saw he went to the, the Saints and Cook was getting older and I figured it wouldn't be a rookie year thing, but he had opportunity. And now here we are, sophomore season. And everyone's excited about him being the next big breakout tight end who was worth nothing and now is going to be a top tight end. And they're basing it largely on on opportunity that's been vacated. Um, they're basing it on uh, on kind of talking bad about the other wide receivers there. Uh, of course, Traquan Smith. There's also Marcus Callaway and Deontay Harris is still there too. But they look at all these things and say, well, after Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, it's going to be Troutman and he's going to get 100 targets and blah, blah, blah. Okay. I don't think so. I, I think he is in my tier of tight ends right there with Hurst and Hooper and even Irv Smith and Janu, who can all finish as a low tight end one. All of them. Not all of them at the same time, but I mean any one of them or two of them could. Um, my problem is I am not confident in him having a ceiling that goes above that. He does have physical limitations. He's a nice size, but his speed is low. Uh, 4840. That's you really want to see four seven, if not into the four sixes. I mean, that's even where Kelsey and Mark Andrews and these kind of guys that you think of being the this just the possession tight end kind of guys would be. But even those possession tight ends were faster than Adam Troutman was. So that's gonna that's gonna limit him a little bit. Um, I also think that the when you have wide receivers and tight end that are both of comparable talent level. The wide receiver is going to be higher priority, target priority. They just are. I mean, I, you can look through it. Just look through history, team by team. It, it shows out every single time. Even a bad wide receiver is going to get more targets than a mediocre tight end on the team. That's just the way it works. A tight end has to truly be better than the wide receiver competition to take targets from the wide receivers. And... As much as you want Troutman to jump up and, and, and look, tight end jumps happen in the second year. Absolutely. But look, the jump can just be to like 60 targets, 40 receptions. That's a jump from what he did last year, which wasn't much at all. Meanwhile, Traquan Smith and Deontay Harris and Marcus Callaway, they could really profit from, especially if it's Jamin Swinston, they could really profit from someone who who pushes the ball downfield more than Drew Brees was the last couple of years. Drew Brees wasn't doing that. And that is going to benefit those wide receivers more than a tight end. It just is. I'm sorry. 
Jameis Winston was going to love throwing it deep to Deontay Harris, okay? He's going to like throwing it to Callaway on the side and short and, and, uh, and up the side. And of course, Michael Thomas, who you're too low on him. Did I tell you that before? You're too low on him still. It's recovering, but you're still too low on him. Um, the other thing is actually Justin Redwards, Justin Edwards, whose Twitter at is Justin underscored Redwards, um, made a really good point. I saw this past week talking about how there's a negative correlation between high target tight ends and the running back on the team or high target running backs and the tight ends on the team, which just makes sense when you, when, when you hear it and you realize, oh yeah. So basically it, they, they operate in the same kind of spaces is, is the theory behind this. And so if you have a tight end just soaking up those drop off and short targets, that's going to limit the opportunity for the running back to get those. Well, why would you throw it to the running back? You have this great tight end to do it. So, I mean, oh my goodness, this explains a lot of situations. Um, so we think about, let's go to the Ravens, right? Mark Andrews, possession guy. How little targets the running backs get. If Mark Andrews wasn't there and they were actually, it was just wide receivers and mediocre tight ends, maybe the running backs would actually get more. Probably. Uh, if if Kelsey wasn't so good, maybe, you know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire would actually have gotten more than four and a half targets per game, right? If Alvin Kamara was not the best receiving running back in the league, maybe the tight ends would get a little more work there. And they still have been okay, you know, some decent seasons here with... Uh, Jared Cook. Actually, Jared Cook two seasons ago looked at his best when Alvin Kamara was hurt, by the way. Um, so just keep thinking about anything like that. I mean, we think back to, you could apply that to the Patriots coming season. Maybe there's less work for those running backs in the passing game that we've seen. We did see that some last year. Uh, White still was getting targets. Burkhead got some targets, but Damian Harris wasn't hardly involved at all. I really like Damian Harris's becoming and being the lead back there, but that is concerning, his lack of work receiving. But you have other, let's see, uh, classic one is the Raiders and Josh Jacobs. We're always trying to figure out why isn't Josh Jacobs getting targets? Well, because they have Darren Waller. Why would you dump off the ball to Josh Jacobs when you can throw it to Darren Waller? Now, at the same time, there's running backs getting targets there. It just wasn't Jacobs. Uh, but it's a consistently interesting pattern. And so just saying, just it, it's not just going to be, oh, Troutman's the third target. No, if there are overlap, the same air parts of the field, that's going to hurt Troutman more than just, you know, addition, subtraction. It's going to actually remove opportunities um, from that equation. Troutman is a really good blocking tight end. He is. That's been pointed out. So he's going to, he's going to be on the field. That's a big positive in his, for his, his, his case, but how much is he just going to be blocking or running interference for Alvin Kamara? And again, how much is James Winston going to want to throw the ball down the field more to the wide receivers? 
that's my issue with the Troutman case. Um, at the same time, I, I like him. I have him on so many dynasty teams, guys. I was going through it. Uh, at least three of them. I tried to. I did make a deal. I sold him because Justin Stevens towards titles was saying he was all over Troutman. He was like, no, guys, you're crazy. Stop overthinking this. So I said, okay, I'll trade you uh, Troutman for Mike Williams. And there was other pieces there too. I think I got Anthony Miller too. And I sent him Mark Ingram along with Troutman. So yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take Mike Williams upside over Adam Troutman. Um, basically equivalent of a, of a decent second round pick. That's what I'm looking for, for Adam Troutman. Because I got him with a third or a fourth. And so I'm going to flip that. That is why I was on him. Because even Justin was like, you're usually on these guys. And I'm like, I was. I got him cheap and this is me cashing in. So uh, you can wait and hope he has that tight end one season. That's fine. I let, again, I probably will do that on many of my teams. I'll just hold on and wait and see what happens. But also, maybe he's not going to do as well as you hope. And the hype, the the optimism is never going to be higher. So um, be sure to check out, uh, if you're hearing this, you probably already missed it. But the redraft ranks combined with the Toilet Titles guys is out on the website. And there will be a video of me and the other guys coming out. Uh, we're actually doing it live streaming it tomorrow morning from when I'm recording this Saturday morning. But uh, so if I don't know how you're listening to this and still have time to catch it live at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, well done. But. Otherwise, you can still find it on YouTube replay. So be sure to check that out. Um, and then once my singularity is out and all my projections are out, I might update that with like the singularity being its own ranker and just doing it by straight points. That's always interesting comparing the points versus, uh, you know, draft ranks are a little bit different because we take into account upside and things like that. Um, not just the raw point projection which sometimes will elevate boring profile players who you don't want to draft at that price point because that's that's it. They don't have in the upside. And so you want to take guys who maybe are projected for a little bit less but could do a whole lot more because my projections are just reasonable expectation. Um, let's see. I made a fun bet with a guy in my Scott Fishbowl about Hayden Hurst, thinking of Hayden Hurst, he drafted Cole Komet a little bit after. That's going to be a fun one. Just lock that in. Cole Komet is right there with Troutman, but even worse looking profile and prospects. Uh, he, he caught some touchdowns last year. Good for him. Um, I have Justin Fields on my Scott Fishbowl team. So I said, look, if Cole Komet does great, that's probably I'm winning with Justin Fields. So it's a win-win for me. Um, so I was fine with that. But I don't think he's going to do, Cole Komet's going to do that great. I don't. I just don't. So um, that's it. I'm not going to ramble anymore. Fusion Flex Charity Leagues, guys, you got to get in these. You got to do it. Uh, a lot of fun. Just got to experience it. 
Uh, hopefully, Flea Flicker platform isn't what's holding you back. If you haven't tried it before, um, it's way better than my Fantasy League as far as interface. Um, whether you use the website, uh, whether you use the app, whether you use the website in its mobile version on your phone's browser, which works perfectly fine, um, it's not as maybe mobile friendly or at least navigation friendly as sleeper i have issues with sleeper though so i don't even think that's the case i like flea flicker um and they basically <laughs> they can handle the scoring and neither sleeper uh sleeper could not and mfl charges money and i want as much money going to the charity as i can so flea flicker it is for now. Give me an email, fusionffb at gmail.com. Give me a DM on Twitter at fusionffb. Get in this thing with a $25 donation. It's not even to me. I don't handle it. Uh, none of the money goes through me. It goes right to the charity. And then you will get to see, you know, all kinds of wonderful photos of their shopping trip they do, um, I believe, in or sometime in November maybe early December, but they, they do the trip. Um, and it just is awesome to see. You can look it up, hit me up and I'll, I'll get you all the links so you can see what they've done in the past. They've been doing this for years now and I've been trying to uh, support them, be involved as much as I can. And this was a fun way of getting to it combined that with my fusion flex. I didn't want to do a, like a listener league or anything. I wanted it to be meaningful, and so that's why it's doing a charity league. So this is my listener league. If you're waiting for it, this is it. So go ahead and get in $25. Uh, donation is all I'm going to be looking for once you're you're in the chat. We'll get you the details. All right, guys. Thanks for listening this far. I rambled. I know my voice held up, so I was happy about that. Got to talk a lot, a lot of different players, and I hope that was actually interesting to you. And uh, check out the, the new... The new logo, the new, I might do more with the website's look now as well. And lastly, and I should, this should not have been lastly, it should have been first, it was supposed to be first. Um, I would love for more people to be involved in doing things on Fusion Fantasy Football. If you want to write an article and you don't know how that works, first off, I, I don't either, like... There's other sites that you can go to and get actually hired as a writer and they'll pay you peanuts for your article. I can't even pay you peanuts for your article. However, I can give you a place to put an article online that you can point to and say, look, I have an article online. And then you could a couple of them up and then you can go to some other website and say, look, I have a couple of these articles on this website for you to look at. And then you can leave me and go over there. <laughs> Um, I'd be fine with that. So, you know, absolutely fine with that. If I could just, if I can be like the incubation site for all of these amazing writers. And then one day, you know, we have all these writers on these different websites who all can trace back to, uh, the first article being on fusionffb.com. That would be, uh, that would be a legacy that I would be proud of. So I don't mind it whatsoever. 
I, I'm not terribly business-minded as far as that goes. Um, if we do get a bunch of people who are serious about writing articles, I will get serious about getting ads and revenue and stuff on there. Absolutely. I I will match your seriousness. Okay, that's what I'm trying to say. I have done that before on a completely different kind of website before. I'm sure things have changed in the decades since then, but I, I have run websites and, and done that before. So I can, if you're serious, I'll get serious. So hit me up if you want to do a podcast, but and you want it to just show up on a on a on an RSS, but at the same time you don't know if you can do it often or you know whatever. Hit me up. You can do a a, a theme show here on this theme on the on this uh, feed. I'm up for it. If you are invite if you know how to edit video and you would like to partner with me in any way possible we need to talk because i don't seem to be very good at it now i can do it if you've seen my videos i can do some editing um i had aspirations of doing some videos that were kind of aimed at making advanced metrics more user-friendly and accessible to people, um, the wider, you know, FF audience. But my pilot wasn't very good. I wasn't happy with it. And uh, about that time was the same, you know, family matter came up that kind of delayed things. Uh, I had to take my attention. So between those things, I didn't get very far with it. I do have one pilot together, but I would love to do more than that. If you have any kind of video ability, we need to talk. Because we're, look, I got a logo, guys. Look, it's a real logo. Okay. Things are getting serious around here, guys. Let's go. Um, let's collaborate. Hit me up. Let's do more. Try new things and uh, let's have fun. 2021 season is around the corner and we're getting ready. So I hope you're paying attention, guys. A lot of takes coming out lately that sound really familiar, really, really familiar. I'm not saying they stole them. I am not saying they stole them. I'm just saying that uh, a lot of people are finally catching up to where we were weeks, even months ago. That's if there's one thing I think I do well that I would like to be able to boast about because so many of my things, I just like, it's just from paying attention. It's just from listening to a lot of other smart people and connecting the dots. Okay. Like, like I posted, uh, I pointed out the Justin uh, Edwards thing, stuff like that. Right. But if there's one thing I can do myself, well, it is being ahead of a curve on some of these player values, right? Michael Thomas, a long time ago, telling you, Right, we already talked about Adam Troutman last year, and now I'm telling you about Hayden Hurst and Evan Ingram, and even somehow Swift. So, these are the edges that I'm hoping I'm providing to you that hit at a pretty high rate, and so I hope that you are taking advantage of it. Uh, I hope that you've already moved, you've taken action based on them. 
because now you're hearing it from the mainstream guys and now it's not going to be as easy to take advantage of it. So hope you've been with us. We'll continue doing it and we'll continue doing it in the season because you know next week tonight is coming. Next week tonight is coming. The week before the first game of the season will be week one of next week tonight. And you know how that goes all season. You know, I tell you to pick up or trade for Chase Claypool a full week before he goes off for crazy. Come on. That's the kind of stuff we do on next week tonight, uh, which is just, again, just illustrative of being ahead of the curve. Hope you're with us. Hope you're along for the ride. Let's go. And if you're just listening, I encourage you to get involved and do some content of your own. And that sounds intimidating and it sounds like, well, everybody can't be a creator. Some people have to be followers and consumers. I'm a follower and consumer too, guys. And when you take the step to create something, it elevates and enhances all the rest of your work and you'll get better in your leagues and everything. So just just if you're serious about it, take that leap, even if it's just a little bit of something and you will benefit even if it's just in your own leagues. All right. See you next week.